Greetings, and welcome to the Thirsty Beige, the podcast where love is in the air and beer is flowing from the tap. I'm your host and person who selects his in-game spouse based on their destructive tendencies, David Lloyd, and in this episode we'll be analyzing relationships in RPGs, starting from the tales of star-crossed lovers in the early days of gaming to the harem-style mechanics of Persona. We'll be sharing which games do a great job with relationship development. And joining me is a man who spends more time trying to figure out whom to romance than upgrading his character's equipment, Jordan Rudick. This is especially true in, like, Mass Effect and Dragon Age Bioware games we're going to talk about later. I, I don't really concern myself too much with the equipment, like, especially if it's my partner's, I only really worry about uh, Shepard's equipment or whoever my character is uh, in, in Dragon Age. But, yeah, this is, a, this is a fun topic. I think we've been kind of thinking about this one for a little while. Uh, I believe Paige suggested it, so I'm glad we're getting a chance to talk about this, but... Uh, yeah, this will be fun. Um, uh, just a, a quick note, uh, I'm, I'm playing through Persona 4 Golden right now, I think I mentioned that. I currently have three girlfriends, but it hasn't blown up in my face just yet, so I'm just <laughs> I'm waiting for the inevitable <laughs> event where they all catch me out. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of, of video games, or RPGs especially, that have relationship mechanics built in. I think it just kind of adds a nice depth uh, and another you know interesting element to the choices you make in the game. And so, yeah, it'll be fun to talk about tonight. And also with us is an individual who recently broke off his long-term relationship with the MMO to go down the romance path with the PS5, Casey Gibson. It wasn't WoW, it was me. But, I mean, but it was <laughs> it was pretty much WoW. It's too much. Too much. Too much of a good thing. Had to Too much of a cord. time sink, man. There's uh, I come on the, the mage here, you guys are talking about Trails of Cold Steel, all these different games I gotta be checking out, and it was finally time. And then the PS5 certainly helped, uh, you know, sort of ease that pain as well. Exactly. And our last panelist tonight, who's still engaged despite the fact that her fiancé deleted her capture footage off her PS5 without permission, Paige Detlison. Yeah, um, I'm halfway through editing the video in question, and because his excuse was that he only deleted the large videos, there were some still some short ones, though they're mostly those trophy auto-generated videos. So I think I have enough to make it the video not entirely in my face but really it's the principle of the matter here <laughs> i mean to be fair no <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair i did i did he's paying for part of my um atelier riser figure pre-order to make up for it so that's <laughs> so you're coming out on top on this i think yeah i think the only fair punishment is to make him replay that game and redo all the footage mm, but my uh my, my review's already late enough as it, so i don't <laughs> that's fair well before we find out what's getting served at the pub just a reminder that if you enjoy the show please help support us by either letting a friend know about our your favorite podcast or shooting out at the world at large on twitter also you can help keep the taps flowing here by helping us out financially through patreon or ko-fi and subscribing via patreon provides a number of additional bonuses including exclusive episodes that we've started posting on patreon so you have to be a patron to to listen to those so we got our first one up there uh, this week about the games that we had when we were just uh, little tykes. So be sure to sign up today to hear those, hear that episode and future ones that are coming around. So I know last week uh, Jordan had teased, teased the results of the uh, food sensitivity test and we got a little bit of a spoiler there with the, uh, the cocoa. But uh, I also know that you got another Oreo review for us this week as well, Jordan. Yeah, this is this is such a, a bittersweet uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, discussion, I suppose, or a little tangent here. It's going to be, you know, we're talking, I mentioned three girlfriends in Persona, and I, I, I feel like I have to be 
breaking up with Oreos at some point soon. So uh, I guess I'll start with the, the you know, it's a good news, bad news thing here. Also, I'll start with the, the bad news. So uh, the food says, well, yeah, I did the food sensitivity test. Uh, it was pretty expensive, but uh, I thought I got some useful information from it. Basically, there, you know, it, it didn't really notice or it didn't really see anything in terms of dairy for me. So maybe it's not a food sensitivity to dairy, which is kind of odd. I thought for sure those those dairy ingredients on the list uh, would be really high. So basically what I've got is I've got this 208 food uh, panel or chart uh, that it lists all these foods and kind of shows from zero to four how sensitive you are. They're kind of like bar graphs. So some of the really, really high ones for me uh, and, and maybe just as much depressing for me to read cola nut, which is of course in Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Mm. So that, that was, it's one of my high, top five highest ones. My absolute highest one on the chart, as David mentioned, is cocoa bean or chocolate. So, uh, obviously, you know, cocoa is found in Oreos and uh, a lot of other things too. So got to be careful with that. Cane sugar, really, really high as well. So it's just things to things that need to start avoiding more. Wheat, uh, wheat and oat are high for me. So uh, maybe, you know, trying to go for more gluten-free things when I can. Uh, cinnamon was a funny one that was also very, very high. Those are kind of like the top five for me. So sugar, cocoa, cinnamon, uh, wheat, and, and cola nut. All the best things. I know, exactly. Yeah, your, your body just wants you to be healthy. Is, so it's like, you know, no cinnamon donuts, no. Is there, <laughs> cinnamon donuts is probably like my favorite thing ever too. It, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, so all that seems really bad. And then so I get that news. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that kind of sucks. Like, I, I really like those things. Cutting them out is going to be tough. Uh, but it is good to have that information, obviously. So uh, I would say for now, like people, you know, feel like they're having, you know, digestive problems or they get a lot of stomach pain, discomfort from different foods. You know, it might be worth looking into a test like this that I, I took uh, via naturopath uh, in Vancouver. The the kind of very interesting thing at the end here, and I'll, I'll try to be quick about this, is uh, I, one final thing that was recorded on my test was something called Candida or ca- a Candida screen. And Candida albicans are apparently this fungus that can grow in your stomach, and they kind of feed off of, you know, sugar, wheat, uh chocolate, all of the things that are kind of I'm really sensitive to, it, the candida feeds off of that. So my candida rating is really, really high. So Is that like similar to the like yeast things you can get? Maybe. It, oh, that's, no, wait. That's slightly different pronunciation, actually. It might. It, I mean, all I know is that these candida fungus or, or enzymes, whatever they are, they're feeding off of the things that are really that I'm really sensitive to. So with my naturopath suggested, it might be that if we can lower my candida rating or, you know, eliminate or starve them, that I might be able to go back to those foods. So, you know, chocolate, cinnamon, sugar, wheat, all those things would be back on the table uh, for better or for worse, I suppose. But at any rate, so there's there's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel, which is really interesting. So uh, at some point, and I'll, I'll talk about this, you know, in, in later months, I'll be going on some very, very strict kind of cleansing diet to see if I can eliminate those candidas that, are may, that may be causing me some issues. That's the, you know, that's the scientific side of the conversation. I do have another Oreo to talk about today. But before I get to that, I want to say that Brookio, I finished that, finished the Brookio pack. Brookio's number one. I, it's number one with a bullet, actually. I was so sad when my kids wanted to eat the last Brookio's in the tray that I knew that Brookio had to be number one on my list. So of all the Oreos to this point that I've had in my life, the Brookio with the cookie, the chocolate, and the white cream in the middle, number one, for sure. Love them. So anyone out there who hasn't tried them, 
fully, fully, fully uh, endorse or recommend giving those a shot. Very quickly, I know I'm kind of I'm going off here. The Lady Gaga Oreos is the recent. That's the new one that I've tried that I haven't talked about yet. I didn't realize that they're just golden Oreos with different colors. So the cream, mm-hmm. the the white cream on the inside, uh, from, normally from the golden Oreo, it's green, and then on the outside you kind of have like a, an orangey pink uh, for the cookie. Um, I actually quite like them, and I I think they're better than golden Oreos. And I know David's not going to like hearing that, but. It, it might be that, David, if you already like golden Oreos, you might like these even better. Because I feel like they're just a kind of slightly upgraded version, excuse me, a slightly upgraded version of the golden Oreo. So, yeah, I mean, I get it's kind of just a novelty. They're just kind of like different colors, maybe. But the cookie tasted a little bit thicker. The cream, it seems like there's a little bit more cream to them. Um, so there might be some subtle differences as well, in addition to just the look of them. So, yeah, I, I'm putting Lady Gaga above golden. Uh, and maybe kind of just inching into my top uh, top fifty percent. Mm. Well, uh, David is a big Lady Gaga fan as well, so it'll work twofold. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I like the the sound of uh, thicker cookie and more cream. It sounds yep. like yep. almost like a just a, an oversized golden Oreo. So. A little bit, yeah. They do feel just it like, sounds good to me. Like one and a half golden Oreos, kind of. That's how that's how it felt like to me. Maybe Paige should tell us about the <laughs> the, the fun the fun uh, cereal that we we're talking about. I don't know if you want to get into oh, yeah. that. Please talk about the cereal. Yes. So, so you guys know what Cocoa Pop cereal is, yeah? Do you have that elsewhere? So Cocoa Puffs. Casey, Casey, yeah. and David yeah. and I will all give different answers based on where we are in the world. <laughs> we we have Cocoa Pops, or are they Puffs? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we have Cocoa. Cocoa Pops, Those are like yeah. two different cereals, aren't they? I know. Cocoa that's Puffs what and I'm, Cocoa Pops. See, I'm thinking Cocoa Puffs well, is the thing. Well, in Australia, you've got Rice Bubbles and Cocoa Pops, and they're the same like brand. It's just the Cocoa Pops, the chocolate Rice Bubbles, and I think the Rice Bubbles is Rice. Rice Krispies. That's Rice Krispies. Yeah. 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 So, David, I don't think we have a chocolate version of Rice Krispies here. I know we have no. Cocoa we Puffs. we have the Puffs. Yeah, not, we have the, we those are like pops, those are like no. corn pops in terms of yep. uh, in terms of the look or shape. Yeah, because I'm looking. Yeah, I see cocoa crisps or crispies. Yeah, we don't. That's not a normal thing. We might get sometimes the special chocolate version of Rice Krispies, but that that's a novelty thing. That's I don't know that that's an everyday. Yeah, thing it's here. not. It's not an everyday one. Yeah. Well, one thing you definitely don't have is the Golden Gay Time ice cream, which is a toffee and vanilla ice cream covered in chocolate, and then like just cover yeah wrapped in um honeycomb biscuits and it's like one of those ice creams on a stick um so the cocoa pops have had a flavor crossover with the golden gay time so they're golden gay time cocoa pop so there's only a few a few of the actual cereal pieces are actually um like chocolate colored and the rest look more like rice bubbles but they've got a toffee flavor to them instead Mm. Uh, we i've never had that or that that ice cream, but it definitely sounds. You've never had a golden gay time. No, <laughs> no, but it sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. To, I'm ready to import these. Uh, oh, I'm hoping David will help uh, cover the cost of uh, importing some ice cream bars, though. Now, Paige, I I I would imagine that this cereal would make the milk taste pretty good. Is that the case? Yeah, because um, like even with actually the, the um tagline for Cocoa Pops is just like a chocolate milkshake only crunchy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like the chocolate flavor seeps through into the milk, so the milk will get brown. So here, yeah, the toffee and honeycomb flavors have seeped into the milk, so it, yeah, tastes like a 
a flavored milk drink. This sounds so good, but I mm. think my stomach my stomach is hurting in anticipation of <laughs> all the things you're talking about. He like, didn't see on the bottom it actually lists that that flavor as like a five on your your chart two or four oh, or whatever it, the, the it, top it's, was. Yeah, this would definitely be a five. They you know send you straight <laughs> to the emergency room kind of kind of cereal, but it it look it looks and sounds awesome. Like I, I am definitely envious. Well, this week, uh, for the beer of the week, we've done the start of the wheat beer family, the start of the sour ale family. We began with the Belgian ale family. Now we're moving on to the pale ale family. So this is a top fermented beer, meaning that the yeast is applied to the uh, the top of the wort and at a higher temperature. And uh, the particular pale ale is made with a pale malt, which is like basically the cheapest barley malt that uh, that there's being produced since it's produced on such a high mass. And a little bit of history. So it first appeared around in the late 1600s, early 1700s, I guess, made from malts that were dried with uh, high carbon coke. And it resulted, the the term pale ale is because it was basically a lighter color than the regular English beers at the time, which tend to be more of a copper color. And uh, so the alcohol content of this one is around four and a half to five and a half, depending on the pale ale. And it's uh, low on the hops. It's only around 10 to 20 IBU. So my favorite uh, pale ales are pretty easy to find. Like these are the because it's uh, the the yeast and the the barley malt is so cheap to produce. You see this in a lot of different uh, brands, but I think from my own memory, the but the my favorite pale ale is from Steam Whistle. The Steam Whistle pale ale. It's pretty easy to find. Pretty uh, high production. You could pretty much find it in any of the beer stores here. So that would be my recommendation for anyone wanting to uh, test out a pale ale. This week, uh, like we said, we're talking about relationships and RPGs, and uh, you can almost, uh, to a certain extent, kind of trace the history of how uh, relationships have de- have developed in uh, RPGs, as we see, like in the early the early JRPGs, uh, like on the NES and SNES. Yeah, you really see the beginnings of like you get the the star-crossed lovers, I call them, the Romeo and Juliet style, where there's kind of like the uh, main uh, main two couple that kind of the destined to be together relationships and I think the most popular for for these types would be Final Fantasy series I think those basically like when you're starting off around Final Fantasy 4 when you you see kind of the the Cecil and Rosa and then you work your way up just 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 to be careful with the terminology and I, I think this is a common mistake um, Starcrossed doesn't mean destined to be together. Yeah, uh, Star Starcross really means bad. that Starcross means that they um they always run into some, there's always something trying to prevent them from being together. Uh, but that that might still be the case. It'll probably still work out for the the pairs and the triads you've selected though, David. Especially like um your your first one, Cecil Kane and Rosa. Like um Cecil and Rosa do end up together. Uh, and they do spend a lot of the game together. But Kane certainly is kind of that. That's the 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 force working to, against them being together. Kane and Golbez, I suppose. Uh, Golbez always kidnapping Rosa. Kane always being brainwashed and uh, seemingly developing or already having feelings for Rosa as well. 
Um, it me, kind of made to feel like a third wheel throughout most of the adventure, which maybe is what makes him so susceptible to uh, Golbez's brainwashing as well. But um, yeah, the Final Fantasy, uh, the Final Fantasy series is a great place to talk about our RPGs where it, it, it's not that the player has a way of really determining how the relationship goes, but you do get to see uh, a meaningful relationship play out between uh, two or more protagonists. Yeah, and then I think it's great with seven, and and I'm not super familiar with the earlier some of the earlier Final Fantasies, but like where is that the first one that really sort of almost puts you like the player in sort of choosing, right? Like you don't really ever see it pan out per se, but it's like yeah, or like are you Aerith? Are you Tifa? Like who do you want? Like which team are you? Right. So so the start of Waifu Wars is what you say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, like what's it twilight right it's like oh i'm team this guy or that guy it's like back in the day before twilight i can't believe we're bringing twilight on the podcast david can you chocobo over that please um (laughs) there well well they say right that isn't that like the greatest love story of all time i think shakespeare is turning over in his grave twice tonight yeah (laughs) so have you been were you ratifa from day one casey yeah i i mean i feel like i i don't have any problem with Aerith at all but like I'm a Tifa guy, you know? Yeah, it's funny, like, the whole love triangle is definitely something that kind of continued on, because even Final Fantasy VIII had a, a little bit of a triangle there with how, like, Renoa initially has a relationship with Cypher, and Squall is just kind of, like, the carefree guy that ends up... I guess it, it's one of those destined things where he ends up uh, going on to the different missions with her, and then they just develop that bond over time, and... uh very similar in the sense to like the other uh, the other ones with or the, with the Cecil Kane Rosa like Cipher I know is is a villain but he's not really he's he's kind of an unwitting villain to a certain degree because he thinks he's doing the right thing and he yeah. and he is in some cases like trying to act on Renoa's behalf like his evil deeds at the beginning of Final Fantasy VIII are really just uh, in in helping try like trying to help the cause of Renoa that uh, that she's working on. David, you mentioned Cipher uh, being kind of similar to Kane. Kane also like talks about wanting to stay close to Rosa to protect her, even when he's either you know um, brainwashed or just coming out of that trance. Uh, he does talk about kind of like you know I I only did this to protect you, or um, I I was you know, he's kind of happy or glad that he can be uh, watching over her. I suppose, and I, I don't know if it's meant to be in like a creepy way. I do feel like he he feels like you know the fact that he it's kind of close to her physically uh, or in terms of they're in the same proximity he can make sure that she is safe uh of course this, you know one of the parts where he comes back just before you fight the fiend of wind um there is a situation where rosa is just about crushed by a giant ball or something and it didn't seem like he was really uh there to save her then but maybe maybe he was uh <laughs> he might have been knocked out at that point i don't, I don't even remember exactly but I wanted to bring it back quickly to Final Fantasy VII before we go to the later entries. You, this is the first time I remember in a game there being uh, choices you could make or actions you take in the game that dictate which girl or which person you end up with. And this is when you first get to uh, the Golden Saucer. Um, you, your date for the Golden Saucer can be uh, Tifa or Aerith, uh, or it could even be Barrett, depending on your actions, which is really neat. So Barrett, yeah. I don't know if the first time I played the game I realized that, but when I discovered that you can kind of you know, talk to, choose different dialogue options or do different actions in the game to determine who you date in that game. That is kind of very early, uh, maybe the, maybe the first time in a Final Fantasy game where there is a little bit of a romance or a relationship mechanic happening there. Yeah, I can definitely say when I was younger playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, 
Uh, I was definitely on the the team Aerith, I guess you'd say. But in in later years, like when we were playing Final Fantasy VII on Switch, and and like you said, I didn't know about that relationship mechanic either mm-hmm. growing up. But when I played it on Switch, I definitely knew about it, and I was definitely making choices that I was hoping would have him end up with that the date with Tifa. Mm-hmm. But uh, later Final Fantasies, uh, as we get later on, like in ten and fifteen, they're they kind of went away from the triangle and went more towards the the I guess the, the more like destined together but can't be together like with um Final Fantasy 10 like they've had quite a the romance between Titus and uh Yuna and then in Final Fantasy 15 you kind of seen I I really enjoyed they never <laughs> were really together in the the game itself between Noctis and Luna but you could see, like, the with the flashbacks and the, the callbacks to, like, growing up and stuff, you could really see how the relationship was built since they were, like, children because they knew they were going to end up together. And and then to see, like, they even though they weren't really together, they still had that strong bond. Yeah, it, it, it's, kind of, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a shame. I, I don't know if it's the if the DLC or maybe the um, the, the film, the Kingsglaive that goes along with it or any other of the kind of side text to the game uh flesh out that relationship a little bit more but you do yeah you're right you do get a sense that like these two care for each other quite a bit it's just not much of the main game lets the relationship come to fruition in any way and so that that i i i guess i found a little i found it a little bit disappointing but you're right there, there certainly is the, the seeds there uh titus and yuna is really great actually i think i feel like that that's really genuine like he 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 does feel like uh, you know kind of builds that relationship over time and does feel really really connected to her there's that scene where they're in the kind of the woods with all the uh, kind of um, like fireflies and, and Yuna's in the middle of the water. And you do, it, it does feel really kind of special and meaningful. Um, there are a lot of scenes with those two uh, and they, they end up kind of being like the focus of the story is this relationship between them. Uh, and, you know, Titus kind of figuring out or, or coming to terms with Yuna's journey. Right. Yeah. Well, they, and then they had a follow-up game, which was basically just Yuna <laughs> searching for Titus. Yes. Yeah, so right. like you could see like they, obviously it, it, it was successful with the fandom in the sense that, you know, people uh, enjoyed that relationship and Square thought it was uh, important enough to have a follow-up game to kind of show that bond. Now, Jordan, you had mentioned in Dragon Quest V the, the choice between uh, Bianca and Nera. Yeah, so uh, this is an early, uh, obviously a very early example uh, of a game that did have a kind of a, a relationship mechanic of sorts. Um, at least just a, just a, a very interesting choice that you make in the game. So uh, the original release, uh, Dragon Quest V, I believe, was 1992 in Japan. Uh, obviously, the game didn't come to the West until much later uh, when it came to, um, I guess it would have been PS, well, not even PS1. I think the first release was either DS or PS2. I don't remember. But at any rate, uh, the DS version, I'm pretty sure, is 2009. Uh, so we didn't get a chance to play it until then. But yeah, in the original game, uh, the choice between Bianca and Nira, and one of them would be your your partner, uh, and you would have kids with them, and it would affect the appearance of the kids as well, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the two characters, are, they play pretty differently. In the DS version, the the one that I, I played recently and did a Timeless Games feature on, there's actually a third uh, relationship uh, option that opens up, and that's Nira's sister. Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name, and I even chose her in the uh, in my most recent <laughs> playthrough. Um, she... Uh, it, 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 it uh, no, wasn't really much of a relationship. Uh, it, 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 I guess it's easy to forget because she <laughs> kind of treats you like crap for most of the game. It's De- Deborah's the third option. Um, and I, I, I don't know if you're not supposed to choose her. She, I think she ends up being a pretty decent character in your party. But 
Um, she she doesn't treat you very nicely. She kind of like you know, she's kind of condescending and looking down on you. So like a real wife. That's... Well, but only a real wife when their <laughs> hard drive gets deleted or something, right? <laughs> I, sorry, I should, have, I should have old wounds. But yeah, but uh, yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, at least you know for for you know Japanese players to, who were playing this game in the early '90s, like that that seemed like a pretty interesting choice. Uh, but yeah, we didn't get this until uh, you know much later, so it's hard to say. Like that's a you know, there, there were certainly more interesting uh, relationship options. I think in early, in uh, games before two thousand nine, we're going to look at a few of those soon too. Was that the? I mean, well, I guess you said you played that much later. Because um, I was going to say, I I don't want to jump too much off the notes here, but like just sort of what what was the first game that you sort of thought about, like or or that you played where it did sort of make that relationship sort of building like a focal point because yeah like we were saying with final fantasy 7 right like there are definitely aspects but we didn't find out till years later right and and that's sort of cool with like the sort of pre-internet being really prevalent times right to be able to be like that could have been something on the the schoolyard right where it's like oh i went oh you get you know that that date with tifa and then you're like well well, i went you know with barrett you know it's like and then you get all like the different sort of stories that way but like like for me i guess like the original fire emblem uh, Fire Emblem, it's the seventh, but the, the first one to come out in the United States, it didn't have it where, like, necessarily, like, hey, we're, like, blatantly trying to, like, marry each other, but you, you form those bonds via the supports, um, and, you know, you start out at a C, you work your way up to an A, and, and there was, I believe, even, like, it could affect sort of, like, the, the outcome at the end where, like, characters would maybe ultimately get married after the conclusion of the campaign. And, like, to me, that was sort of my first introduction for, like, just relationship building, even, you know, but just, you know, platonic friend relationship building and, and sort of, like, peeling back the curtains and learning more about these characters that, you know, if you sort of ignored the support, you wouldn't get that depth you know, and, and learn more about, you know, some of these characters you end up going to war with for... Yeah, that's a really good example, Casey. Was. I don't know how in-depth the... Or if we even call it, like, romance mechanic. There's definitely, like, you know, building up bonds and a rapport and, and you know, uh, having a higher support level with characters can, and opening up dialogue choices, maybe, things like that. Like, that is a big part of that, that Fire Emblem game you mentioned. Um, and they would go on to kind of, like, take it to the nth degree when I think they realized that people were getting pretty into, um, you know having partners having kids in the games and, and just you know maybe more meaningful or deeper relationships with their characters and that kind of makes sense for a game like fire emblem where you already care so much if characters die right in a game with permadeath if you're in a, a romantic relationship with a character you're probably going to do you're going to throw the kitchen sink at the enemy to make sure that that person survives the battle at the very least and maybe maybe even sacrifice one of your stronger units to protect your your lover or something i don't know but that, that's a cool it's a cool thing to think about in that game mm-hmm. um i i don't know if i thought of um uh fire emblem as being one of the first games for me what about what about you david or, or Paige? like what what game did you come across that can, where you kind of started thinking about it uh one of the first games for me would be um harvest moon series especially but i, I figured we're, we're going to talk about that soon enough so <laughs> yeah that, that that's a good answer though like because uh, <laughs> i can think of the the harvest moon game on super nintendo and that was probably the first time where i came across like a meaningful choice so Casey, that would be my answer then um harvest moon and super nintendo i think you have a choice of maybe 
four or five partners and then the, the objective is to get married and have a kid and you know there isn't necessarily like a, a definitive end point to these harvest moon games uh which again we'll talk about more later but Usually. that was the first one that i came across where like that that is a built-in mechanic of the game uh and it's not necessarily an rpg per se even if it has rpg elements but uh the, definitely the relationship was a big part of that of how the game works yeah i know for me the when i noticed relationship mechanics in the game it it would be the Dragon Age Origins, like the whole thing with uh, Morgan would be what I ended up choosing. Like that, I guess Morgan is is always like the the first like in game relationship that I'm like, okay, I, I want the protagonist to be with her. Like they they, just, they should be together. Yeah, that that's my first memory of ever ha- like choosing a relationship in a video game. Like to me, it's it's a bit of an inflection point too, in in where it starts to go from, you know, the game is telling this love story to you can make your own love story, because like all of those kind of Bioware games in the golden age of Bioware, uh, all kind of have that with like Mass Effect and and the Dragon Age series, and I know um, Knights of the Old Republic also. I think you had it was either like two or three options you could end up choosing, um, in in that game, and. So it wasn't kind of like the full-blown options that we see in JRPGs now, like in the modern era, I guess. But you could see like they give you, depending on the game, three three options or so, I think, Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they ended up, I believe initially, maybe not in the first Mass Effect, but I'm pretty sure in Mass Effect 2, initially they weren't gender-locked, but then I think there was a bit of a pushback. And and they ended up adding in the gender lock near the end there, I guess, of development. But that's that's to me when things started to open up on the relationship front. Yeah, Mass Effect was a big one for me as well. I think it's one of the reasons I really got invested in that game. Um, not just like to to form a relationship, but just knowing that like there's this character Shepard, and I really like him. I like all the adventures he's going on. But there's also all these people in the game that you know you can have different levels of relationships with, um, whether you pursue something romantic or it's just like kind of getting to know all the people on your ship. It did feel kind of like a like a family, but um yeah, Dragon Age was really good for that. Like I think BioWare this was kind of one of the things that helped put them on the map was like meaningful choices in the game. It's not just like who do you kill, where do you go next? It's who do you love, who do you care for, who do you protect? Like those are, you know, more meaningful questions that we we want to ask, we we think about in in real life, right? Like these are pursuits that when they are simulated in a game, it's very interesting because it's, you know, something we spend so much time on outside of games as well, that it's fun to kind of play around with those <laughs> inside the games. As those opened up, like, how did you, how did you feel? Like, did you find, did you feel that the the, the choices that you're making were meaningful? Like, like I said, with me, with Dragon Age, it definitely felt, I don't know if, if I had any particular favorite in Mass Effect, but I definitely in Dragon Age was like, Morgan was, was my girl. 
Mm-hmm. But how about you? Like, did you find those uh, any particular meaningful relationships in there, even with the restrictions? Yeah, like I, I, I think that it's, it wasn't about like there. There are only two or three people that you can romance based on your gender, for example. So I think uh, in the original Mass Effect, uh, there were three three people you could romance: uh, Ashley, Caden, uh, and Liara. Uh, Ashley is romanceable by male shepherd, Caden by female shepherd, uh, and Liara for either gender. Because uh, at least for for me, like I, I wanted to have a relationship with human. Like no offense to to aliens like Liara who aren't uh, 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 sorry. Like uh, to be specific, I do I did like Liara as a character, but I didn't want to get in a relationship with with her. Uh, so yeah, I, I went for Ashley, and th- there's something fun about the pursuit. Like it's not just like. I, I wasn't really thinking about, oh, there's only a couple of options. It, it, because it was such an, a fresh experience still, uh, we hadn't been doing this a lot in games. I was still, I was just more fixated on, okay, what is my, what is my position? That's probably the wrong word to use. Uh, what is the, <laughs> what is the status of my relationship with Ashley at given times in the game, right? Like, did I do something that she didn't like? Did I do something that she liked? I don't know if there are um, actual like uh, a meter or, or like points or, or uh, scores indicated on the screen when you do something wrong, but I know that you can you can kind of get a sense based on their responses to you or interactions with you that maybe you made the wrong choice, right? The game might even say like if you do this, Ashley won't like it, or if you do this, Caden won't like it, for example. And I, I think that I think that's neat. I think that having that. Uh, force in the game to push you in another direction like maybe you're doing something you think is wrong just for yourself or for your shepherd but if your if your prospective partner would like that thing do you make that choice so i think i think that does add meaning to the decisions you're making in the game yeah and as we kind of get into the more modern uh titles we start to see the the option options just kind of explode and we move into games that have marriage candidates. And like Paige had uh, uh, mentioned... Yeah, time to block out half an hour of time to listen to me talk about... Please do. <laughs> 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 we'll kick us off. Yeah, well, like you said, even... Like John said, even the first Harvest Moon had marriage candidate options. Not every Harvest Moon, um, you know, now Story of Seasons game, has marriage. So like there's a few spin-offs or just ones where it doesn't. But... A lot of them do, and for me, it's just the main drive in the game because some don't even necessarily have a story, or some you need to actually finish the story till you're actually able to get married. Like for example, Harvest Moon DS, you have to do a ton of stuff. Like you've got to rescue the Harvest Goddess before you're even able to get married to anybody else. So yeah, it's one thing because you usually have a requirement. You know, you've got to upgrade your house. You've got to watch all of their heart events. Um, you got you know you give them gifts daily and it ranks up their affection and and the hard events the choices you make can actually increase or lower their affection towards you so if you're a bit rude <laughs> at a time that they need you then that'll like temporarily put a hold on your relationship for a bit and the newer ones actually have a dating mechanic so you actually ask them to be your boyfriend or girlfriend first before you move on to engagement and marriage I will say the first Talisman game I played which was a wonderful life um Marriage was very central to it, as the um, at the end of the first year, if you hadn't proposed to one of the three candidates first, one of them would come up to you and propose to you, and if you denied them, the game would end. Huh. You would leave the family <laughs> farm. Um, it's also, well, up until I think the newest story of Seasons, which has a sort of weird reverse time thing instead of divorce, it's the only Harvest Moon game where you can get divorced, because if you slack off the farm and basically, you know, 
tell your spouse to get stuffed, they'll they'll leave you. No, well, you'll leave. Yeah, they'll leave you, and then the game ends as well. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, being you know being a married farmer is very important. One thing that's interesting is a lot of the early entries you would only be able to play as a boy, so you'd have female marriage options. Uh, and then sometimes they would release a separate girl version of the game. So for Harvest Moon, uh, Mineral Town, then you had Friends of Mineral Town, you could play as a girl. Um, and Harvest Moon DS, then you'd have DS Cute, where you could play as a girl. And uh, sometimes they had to add actual extra marriage candidates because maybe not everybody in Forget Me Not Valley was that attractive, mm. so they added a pretty boy for DS Cute. <laughs> Uh, I should hope so. Uh, yeah, and depending on the game, you can have a kid as well, and it also depends on the game whether they actually do more than be a little toddler for all eternity. Like I said, uh, a wonderful life is actually really important because your kid grows up, and depending on who you're friends with, that'll actually influence at the end of the game, your child deci- becomes a young adult, and they decide what they're going to be. Most also take the appearance of your spouse as well to influence how they look because, you know, your character is just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's interesting about some of the early girl versions of the game is that when you got married, the game would actually end, hmm. uh, which is a bit mean because if you are playing yeah, it, as the boy, it wouldn't. That's not a great, uh, a great message to send. But <laughs> I, I was going to say, there's a joke to be made about little, parallel to real life, <laughs> but I, I'll, I so, won't say One um, <laughs> interesting thing is in... Harvest Moon DS, if you connect it to Mineral Town, you can marry the Mineral Town girls, but then mm. as the boy, your game ends. Whereas in DS Cute, they fix that. So that's the one game where if you play as a girl and you marry one of these boys, your game won't end, whereas it happens the other way around. I forgot about that linking of the games. That's, I, and I, I love when that kind of thing happens, but I didn't realize it was to add potential marriage partners and I guess extend the game for certain genders. Yeah, and especially when it comes to like, have your choices in candidates ever changed? Because usually when I played um, House of a Wonderful Life, I'd go for Celia, the other farmer girl, but now I tend to go for Muffy instead. So like, are there any instances where you've actually changed to your wife is? I, I so yeah I, I actually think of I don't know if it's with a Harvest Moon game but the but the idea of like originally let's say I get off to a good start with a girl and I, I think that like um, I have either figured out like the kind of items she likes really early on or we've had some inter- if, had some early interactions and I feel like the meter I'm already getting closer to that person I might pursue them but then I, if I if I see someone or I'm talking to someone else in the game and I actually like them better as a character. I might end up switching and going and pursuing someone else instead. So I can't think of like specific examples where that's happened, but I know in playing like, you know, these farming sim type games, I have had a change of heart uh, moving away from maybe a relationship of convenience to one where I'm actually, you know, more interested or passionate about uh, another character. I want to get to know them better. I'd like to, you know, uh, have a, have a, a deeper relationship with them. So that does definitely happened to me before. Um, I won't always just go for the, you know, the first person that comes to talk to me or something like that. But uh, I, you know, I know it maybe starts off that way. I was actually thinking again about A Wonderful Life. Yeah, what what made me not pick Celia this time was I picked the wrong dialogue option in one of the hard events. And she she got really mad at me and said something not nice. So I was like, well, screw you. I'm going to go with the blonde instead. Like, um, It was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's also you can in that game you can actually break the girl's heart. So because if you like do the heart events, um, you sort of by default commit to them without actually having to propose. Mm. So then if you go and propose to another girl, they're usually like 
come up to your house and tow you off, basically. <laughs> and if it's in Celia's case, it'll actually be Dang. like the people she lives with will go off at you too because uh, one of the guys she lives with just kind of has a thing for her, so <laughs> he gets pretty mad. You're just causing chaos all over this town here, Paige. I don't know if they're going to let you <laughs> let you play much longer. but um, And then yeah, in the newest entries have, um, like in the story season series, have same-sex marriage, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's always, sometimes, uh, sometimes the newer ones, I felt like I didn't like any of the male candidates, so then I had to play as a boy to marry one of the women. Um, and then that's also because sometimes they show off these new games, and I see... A character I like, but they're they're a character that's already married, or it's like they're not romanceable, and it's just like why? Mm-hmm. Like I was playing Rune Factory four, and you can't marry the blacksmith, and it's just like why? He's just a, yeah. They, they show you like what could be, and then they're like, nope. So, do you have any favorites from any Harvest Moon or Rune Factory or Stardew lovers that you prefer? I mean, I, I've pl- I've dabbled in Stardew and Rune Factory. I don't know that I've ever got in either of those games or a series. I've gotten to like a, a marriage state with with anybody, um, and even Harvest Moon. It's more. I, I don't. I don't know if I, I find the characters kind of memorable over time. Like I, I I like the I like getting to know all the people in the town and you know seeing you know what what options are out there. Uh, not like I'm trying to be a player or something like that, but um, yeah, I, I just can't think of anyone specific. I haven't spent—I don't think I've spent enough time with with these games uh, like you have. Like I, you're, you're much more of an expert with me. I think you you've played <laughs> played some of these games like multiple times and kind of seen seen what all the uh, options are. But for me, it's more like I, I guess I, I like seeing kind of like. I'm trying to find an endpoint with these games, and I guess if that's marriage, if that's having a kid, if that's you know earning a certain amount of money, whatever it is, like I'm trying to get there. But for for me, like the relationship in in these games, it's not as fulfilling as it is in 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 the earlier games we mentioned, like Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Like I really remember those characters. But yeah, maybe it's maybe it's the cinematic nature of those games or the voice yeah. acting. There's something. As a, one thing I forgot was in some of the games there were rival marriages. So like in the original Mineral Town, and they took it out of the remake. So certain characters had like cannon pairing. So if you didn't, if you'd um, accidentally triggered too many of the hard events, they'd end up getting married the uh, next week. So some some kids had their hearts very broken when the when the person they were trying to go for ended up getting married to somebody else. Has that happened to you before? No, because. Um, well, I think in Mineral Town I only went after uh, Rick, and he's like the easiest because oh, okay. his favorite item is the hot boiled egg. So I throw an egg in the spa, give it to him, and we're like, uh, a, a thing that seems to be the case with most of my preferred marriage candidates is that I can usually get with them in the first year of the game. They're easy, easy to please, right? What she's saying is Paige gets who she wants. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if all they want is a, hard, uh, a hot-boiled egg or a hard-boiled egg, if that's all it takes to make them happy, go for it. Yeah, that, that's, that yeah. does seem pretty easy um, for a relationship. Though. Another reason I don't like that they've taken out the rival marriages is in uh, one of the Wii games, the couples could get married and then they'd actually have kids as well. Mm. So then it wasn't like he, your kids were the only kids in town. And yeah. um, you know That felt like the most development that, aside from... The, you know, the one game where it was like your kid grows up to an adult. That 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 Wii game is the one where it's like, you know, there's multiple kids and they, they help you with chores and stuff. So it's a bit sad that they've taken out. They've decided, even in the remake of the original game with Rival Marriages, they took it out. 
Yeah, right, rival marriages are... Break little kids' hearts. That's, that's a really interesting concept. I think that the fact that like you kind of add that competitive element to it, or or you kind of like, here, if, if you don't pursue this, here is what could happen. Or if you if you do something wrong, here's what... Like, that, that does feel a little bit more realistic, right? Like, you could screw yeah. up a relationship, and then, like, you know, your, your ex-partner or fiancé or, or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, like, they could end up with, you know, your best friend or, or someone you know or someone else. And, um, you know, well. we, it, it sucks, but, like, that that is a part of life sometimes times and um i think to have it in these games maybe it go especially in the more recent games it seems to go against the spirit um they're very they're very safe i guess i would say like yes, I, I, they, they're, they're recent so happy entries have actually taken out like animal animal death too which i don't it's just like it's too too baby animals live forever your dogs live forever and so yeah that's why it's a wonderful life yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Oh, uh, actually, uh, spoilers for uh, Have Some Been a Wonderful Life. That's the only game in which you you die. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> You're like, because you grow up. This is, is taking yeah. a very dark turn. <laughs> uh, although, speaking of com- com- competition, you know, Stardew Valley has multiplayer. Mm. So, you know, if you're all interested in the same marriage candidate, you kind of got to be the the first one to <laughs> get on that. Give them as many eggs as possible. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, out of marriage candidate, I mean, I usually have, I don't usually find it hard to choose between, I usually end up finding one that I do like. Um, and I think the more memorable one to me out of recent games is um, Shane from Stardew Valley because mm-hmm. he's dealing with like depression and alcoholism. And I, like, so it's just nice to have a, a character with that level of depth. And he likes microwaved pizza, so what, what's not to, <laughs> what's not to love? Shane's got <laughs> breakfast covered. Yep. Yep. Sorry, I think that, that that's the the most important things I can talk about. Although, I did, did I touch on Rude Factory because you cannot they can also be party members as well. So that's nice. <laughs> so you can you can you can take your wife out to help you slay monsters in. The... I think we're gonna have to do we'll have to do a Rune Factory episode later this year with with the fifth game coming out and I think the I think the fourth one has been on sale a bunch of times too like that it seems like a good yeah. franchise for us to to visit for the first time or at least in more detail uh, than we're doing now but like I, I, I it's a game series I've always wanted to get to the Switch I think the Switch version uh, or the the fifth game coming to Switch looks pretty interesting so well Rune Factory is interesting to me because I need. I, I'm not. Re- I haven't really played very many farming sims because there's not enough combat in them. So, right, yeah, to- Rune Factory is an action RPG where you have a farm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that sounds like that's up my alley. Because yeah, the I I guess kind of in this marriage candidate kind of type of game, like the the closest thing I can think of is Skyrim, where you have yeah. um, it's pretty much you can marry anybody. <laughs> there's like. I don't know, 50 or 60 different people that you can get married to in Skyrim. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily develop like much mm. of a relationship with anyone in it. It's more, what I can remember from it was like, there's certain tasks that you can do that will unlock the option to get married to someone. and But then you have to use an amulet of Mera and you and you basically like go up and ask, like, do you want to get married? And, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's all based on like, did you do that quest with that one person? Yes or no? Okay, then sure, I will get married. I remember just picking kids up off the street um, to live in my house, and then I just married one of the first women I saw just so that there was somebody to look after them because I felt bad leaving them home alone all day. <laughs> it's nice to adopt. <laughs> a Ado- week, <laughs> all month. You needed a nanny. Kidnapping, adoption, there's a really fine line between those two things. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I was saying, in the, um, 
Harvest Moon games, the main item you'd propose with was the blue feather. Mm. So part of me sort of regrets not actually um, finding a blue feather in real life to propose with to <laughs> fulfill that. Do you, do you need uh, just one more thing about Skyrim? Do you need to have the a house to get married, or you you can move in with them or something like that? I can't remember. I know that there is is it is it kids that are attached to the Hearthstone DLC? I can't remember what uh, what mechanic is connected with that DLC. I think kids need a house, yeah. Okay. Well, and I think because you're automatically given Bree's home when you get the White Rune, like that that's given to you, right? Uh, I don't think you have to purchase the Bree's home in White Run. I think so because that's where I dumped my wife and kids. Yeah, must <laughs> yeah. Be, must so be. I think I think you always have that one house. So if if you don't build another house, then then you're fine. Like they'll just live there. Because I remember, usually I just ended up with Lydia because it it it's like the first warrior <laughs> partner you end up finding. Usually I like to play as a, because I was playing the silent assassin, I really didn't bring people along with me, so I just leave Lydia to, to guard the house, and it just makes sense. It's like, well, if you're already here, we might as well get married. I think they can be a shopkeeper too, if I'm not mistaken, like your, your, your partner Those can are some sell options, things yeah. from your house or something like that. I, I, I have, I, yeah. Yeah, a while, but... yeah, um, yeah, saying here, you can um, speak to them and you'll get a part of their profits each day otherwise it accumulates yeah that's 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 kind of nice which is which is nice yeah get married stay in the house benefit to to it you know now a lot of parallels between skyrim and and harvest moon i suppose well uh, like you said in the dlc like that that you can build your house like once your house is built you can send them to the new one right okay yeah yeah That brings us to uh, what I guess is kind of the popular thing these days, which is uh, like Paige mentioned, the wife uh, Wafu Wars, I guess, or whatever. Waifu. However you pronounce it, Wafu. No Wafu. 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 Right. I, the Wafu. David doesn't have enough Wafus. No. It's always Wafu Sunday. Yeah. The the harem style romance where it's basically one person and uh, a long list of people that kind of get thrown at you. For me, the the Kind of the first one that pops into my mind uh, that was noticeable to me for was uh, Persona Five. Mm-hmm. So playing as Joker, it was basically, uh, I guess I don't know, like eight, eight to ten or so candidates between like uh, Anne, uh, Makoto, Futaba, Sai, uh, Kawakami, Haru, <laughs> Haifumi, Tai. Like the the list goes on. So did you, did you feel their wrath on Valentine's Day? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. It, <laughs> I you think the first, my first playthrough, I was pretty sure I had like at least four, I think three or four strung along at that point. And yeah, Valentine's Day did not go well for me. Um. <laughs> I, um, I actually went out with all of the adult candidates except for the journalist. And then the only party member I went out with is Fataba. So really that's how the secret didn't get out because I was only dating one phantom thief. 
um, and Tofumi, the um, shogi girl. She was smart about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is funny how the the way they're spaced in the Valentine scene, like you, like if you're not dating everyone in the scene, they can see sort of gaps sometimes because it's all meant to fit up to every single <laughs> romance option to come beat you up. I think it's been a thing in other Persona games too. Um, I know in Persona 3 Portable as the other female character, I've seen videos where um, some guys start arguing about you <laughs> and then like um, your friend Jinpei is just stuck in the middle of like two guys <laughs> arguing about you. And I think I haven't played four, but I've seen like a, a harem, like similar harem scene. And then I've got to get back to Stardew Valley again because in one of the updates they added, because you can date all of the characters at once so they don't really notice it. Um, you, if you date all the girls um, or all the boys, you can sometimes trigger a scene where they'll all be together and they'll be like, oh, hey, yeah, we've been talking and like, and then they'll dump you <laughs> because, because they found out that you're like... Oh, yeah. uh, but if you're carrying a lucky rabbit's foot, they'll all be... They'll trigger the scene, but they, they won't have um, talked to each other enough so you, you won't get dumped by... The entire eligible population. <laughs> mm. Yeah, for me it was Persona Four. Um, th- that was really the first game that like I ever experienced in this sort of vein. Yeah, where it's like, all right, like line them up and give them my <laughs> pick, you know. And it's funny because yeah, like going into it, that like I sort of knew it was like, oh, like you could like pretty much date them all, or you could like you know be a, a one one woman man, you know. And I remember going in, it's like, I want to play this straight, you know what I mean, like. I'll try, and like, of course, that doesn't work out right. So it's like, like in that game, you, you meet up with Chie and uh, Yukiko first. So I'm like, all right, I'm a Yukiko girl. Like, let's go. Um, and then like, you know, relationship. Then all of a sudden, Risei comes in, and I'm like, wow. Now I'm starting to think like maybe I should just be a player. <laughs> you, you dump know? Chie and Yukiko and then, so uh, fast. <laughs> oh yeah, super quick. But honestly, and then like at the end, uh, Naoto, Naoto, I got Naoto, yeah, Naoto, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, like then all of a sudden, like she came into the. I'm like, oh, like, so honestly, yeah, like she was my favorite. So if I was gonna go back, yeah, if I was gonna go back and literally just pick one, it'd be her. But I, I think they're all like interesting characters. And then I think I went and I did Chie just because at that point I was like. Well, I'm already a whore, you know what I mean? Yep. I might as well just finish it up um, and sort of see how that sort of plays out, you know? But, uh, but yeah, that it it's definitely interesting. And, like, for me, Persona 4, like, I played Golden on the, the Vita, and it's, like, such a great game. That, that was actually, like, one of the first games, especially, right, like, the Persona games mm-hmm. are just stupid long. And it was one of those things, like... Like, I finished it, and I was, like, instantly, like, I want to go back and play it again and, like, like sort of explore the different social links. Not even the ones, like, necessarily that you, you end up romancing, but just the, the social links in general, like, were so engaging to me. And, like, of course, the game is really great. I, I love the mystery aspect of it. I love the combat and the exploration, all that stuff. But, like, just the, the, the bonds in general with all the different characters i think is what may makes persona like why people love it so much right and like oh just so good and and i really need to get back and play persona 5 like finish it up 
It's just so yeah, Speaking of um, one woman, man, um, I've been watching my fiancé play through Persona 5 Royal, um, and he's been rejecting every other girl because he's, he's only, he was only going for Kasumi and, and asked, you know, why don't you just date all of them at once? And he's just like, well, I'm not a whore. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay I'm not gay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whew, yeah. I, I think Persona 4 and 5 are really interesting uh, in this in this kind of vein of, of all these potential uh, partners or so and social links and um, whether they're party or party or not. I think the ones that are that actually are playable characters are really interesting because as your relationships with them improve, they become stronger. So yeah, I'm playing Persona 4 Golden right now, and as you know, as Chie, Yukiko, um, even Rize, as they all get stronger, they earn their their they earn abilities in combat that are actually really really helpful like they can re- they can restore you if you get knocked down or if you have like a status effect uh they can take a if you're going to be killed in one hit they can take a blow for you uh so it, they'll take the damage instead which is really really important because if the main character of persona 4 dies um then you you lose the battle uh no matter even if the other characters are, are perfectly fine and they could revive you you still can't lose that character so that's a really important social link level to get to so you know i said I've got three girlfriends right now. Persona four, in Persona Four, I'm gonna if yeah, I'm gonna try to get Naoto to love the max social link level as well. Make her my girlfriend. I, I'm not I'm not doing that because I, I want to have a romance with these characters. I, but my primary drive through this playthrough was just like, okay, I, I want to beat the game a little bit faster. Um, I, I don't have as much time these days, so uh, if I, I want to make the characters in my party as strong as possible, okay, that means you know leveling up the social links with the girls that are going to be on my team in battle. So that was kind of my drive for the whole thing. And it, it, I mean, it turns out like the relationship part of the, 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 the dialogue, the conversations, the actual relationship mechanics are just really interesting in this game. Like the, the story is great. The characters are great. You know, people know that Casey was talking about that already. Uh, I can't wait to talk more about that game, but I'll, I'll leave that for later. And just like, I, I really do like this style where there's so many options, but it's not just about, you know, who do you like? What character do you like? But also, like, by leveling up your relationship with them, how does that benefit you in the game? Not just, you know, have a, in unlocking story elements, but, like, how does combat gets, get better? How does how do items get cheaper? Things like that. I, I love those side uh, aspects to it as well. So you like the benefits that come with relationships? I do like those benefits <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Jordan likes friends with benefits. Yeah. That's what I got from that. I like girlfriends with benefits. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I no, I, I shouldn't say girlfriends because like I also you know rela- raised uh, Kanji's level up as well. Like he's my 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 physical fighter on my team, and so doesn't have to. You can be ter- purely platonic. I want relationships with everybody, so long as they're not yeah, aliens. Yes. <laughs> now, now I feel bad. I feel That's bad where he crosses people the listening line. to this that really likely are, and I do like her a lot as a character. It's just in the first game, I wasn't all that interested. And I, and I, I you know, I'll, 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 I'll kind of make amends by saying that, like, when I played either Mass Effect 2 or 3, I don't remember which one, uh, the first person that I romanced in that game was Tally, and I really like Tally. So. Well, uh, we need to get our uh, mandatory Legend of Heroes content in, so maybe we'll... Uh... Finish this uh, conversation off with the Trails of Cold Steel in the sense that it's the uh, it's the same sort of thing where the it, it's Reen is the is the the unwitting or or seemingly unwitting um, main character in the sense of like he has all the uh, women and girls in his uh, the t- in class seven that he's essentially <laughs> has a has a choice of you could build up the relationships uh, throughout the game. 
And oh wait, see, see, you know, if you told me that there was dating options, you know, I might, I might actually <laughs> be interested in the. <laughs> well, <laughs> here's, so, yeah, there's so there's a lot of girls that you can so you can build relationships with everyone in class seven. Uh, but when you get to the end of, uh, I'll specifically stick to Trails of Cold Steel one so that I'm not ruining any spoilers for anyone. Casey. But at yeah. the end, at the end of, oh well, Casey won't mind. Careful. Yeah. Careful. I'll take my headphones off for. <laughs> All right. A couple so, seconds. So with Trails of Cold Steel 1, um, so yeah, you can romance anyone within... So you can build the, the relationships with everyone in the class, but at the end of the game, you actually have um, an option for like a uh, one particular... Like you could pick one person out of the whole group to see this like extra scene, mm-hmm. or it's basically like Reen is... Uh, like you're having Reen choose like the who he wants to have the the, the, the romantic relationship with. And um, it's kind of funny in the sense that it can be anyone in in the class. And so I was kind of worried going into the end. Like, um, there's a few people here that are significantly younger than Reen, which would make this very awkward. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, like, um, so for instance, like, Fee and Milliam are probably both, like, 14, 15 or something. I think it, it is what, where Reen is, like, 18. And so I just, I had to see what happened. So I ended up, what I did was I saved, I had everyone's uh, relationship up to the point where I could just save at a certain point and then go back and see all the relationships. So I went back and saw that uh, the, the way that Reen does it with the younger girls is that he it's more of a sisterly, mm-hmm. it's not a romance relationship, it's a sisterly, we're very strong bond relationship. The instructor Sarah, who's a few years older than him, um, has a very funny scene in the sense where like so he he's 18 she's 25 and he kind of declares his love to Sarah and she's she kind of doesn't necessarily reciprocate it's more of a well I'm kind of into older guys but you know when you become a man then let's let's talk again yeah <laughs> so it's a bit of a funny scene but the thing that I found um most interesting is that it the is that I think Falcom had chosen Elisa as the intended relationship because uh, it, with everyone else, it's kind of this like strong bond, but not like a very the romance kind of wasn't quite there. Except with Elisa, we full on kisses, and mm-hmm. I believe, if I remember correctly, she's the only one that he actually kisses, and uh, and they talk about their future and stuff. So it was interesting to see that you can romance anyone, but there was clearly one person that they had intended for him to be with. Yeah. Right, so I was gonna say it's not it's not as complicated as some of the Mass Effect games where the relationship could technically carry between games. Yeah, that's the thing is it 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 doesn't like whatever you choose it it won't affect like it it doesn't carry over to the other games. But again, that goes into the like when you see Reen and Elisa together in later Cold Cold Steel games. Again, you can see that there's a clear. To me, there's a clear uh, preference of like this is who they think he's sh- will or you know this is their choice. Later games, <laughs> well, later games you can actually still have those romantic um, things as well. Like I won't spoil it because Cold Steel Four is is uh, a very recent game, but again, the, the Cold Steel Four has the same thing where you can build up the relationships and then there's that scene at the end where he kind of like 
gets together with somebody, mm-hmm. and it's different depending on who you choose. Well, the um, Switch ports for 1 and 2 just got their Japanese and um, Asian release dates, so if the Asian one has an English option, I might start it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just want all the games on this, this the one system. That might all be in Exceed's hand at this point, I think. I, I don't know if they're the ones that uh, hold the golden key for that English localization, but uh, I think everyone is holding their breath that the, those end up having the English, at least the English, like even worst case, like if they don't put the voice acting or something in that to at Just least like, have the English localization text uh, yeah. with Japanese voices. Like I, I think most people would be fine with that, but here's, here's fingers crossed that they, they have that in there. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause it, it, I was looking at that the other day. Um, it came out, the first one came out in Japan on the switch, but yeah, I don't know. I, I again, I was I tuned out there, but yeah, I, I'm like I haven't gotten to play too much like recently, so I haven't gotten really too into the relationship stuff. But like, um, I am interested to see how that goes. I, obviously, I from I gather there are tons of uh, you know p- potential. Who's your suitors. preference so far? Yeah, I was gonna ask. Who do you like the best so far? Honestly, I don't even know. I don't know yet. I, I'm still feeling it out. I'm feeling it. Alyssa, she's weird, right? She's super weird. Um, I just got into the part where she sort of like uh, forgave Reen, right, for for the whole complete accident yeah. that was blown out of proportion. And um, but then like they were all sharing the same room, and then she like snaps on him again, like like in, insinuating like he would like try and creep <laughs> up on her or something. And it's like, man, that girl is crazy. So it's interesting to see there, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't gotten any like that are really jumping out of the page yet. But like I said, I haven't gotten a ton of like the free time to really go hang out with them. Yeah, you know, it's, more individually, it's those bonding events that really solidify like who you're going to be interested in because it, it's not just like all the different characters talking along about the storyline. It's actually like you're getting to know them a lot more intimately because it's those are mostly one on one situations, right? So once you do more of the bonding events. You'll probably start to figure out like who, who, which characters you actually like more. Yeah, but I will say I really do like the game. So, well, that kind of takes us to the end, and I think a a good way to uh, finish it up is to maybe go with uh, our preference. Like we've talked about a bunch of different uh, ways that relationships can be shown in games and developed, and uh, maybe Jordan wanted if you had to choose uh, a game. With with a certain relationship mechanic, what's mm-hmm. what is it that stands out most for you? Yeah, I I, I think the Bioware games are, are probably still going to be the default. Like I feel like uh, again the cinematic nature, the fact that you can you kind of unlock cutscenes, everything's kind of in in three D, you know, HD. Like there's more, it just feels a little bit more realistic, I guess. Um, the voice acting certainly heightens all of that. I I do like the way relationships are done. Western RPGs. I am interested in games that have those mechanics. Even a game like Cyberpunk and uh, other, you know, uh, I can't remember like the Fallout games. Like to what extent they have romance options, but like. There are characters that you do form bonds with and you want to see like whether those will turn romantic or not. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the way I like to go. Like, I, th- I feel like in some of the Japanese games, like the ones we've mentioned, um, uh, Persona and, and Trails of Cold Steel, and then a, a game I, I reviewed for the Thirsty Mage, uh, blanking on the name, uh, from, from no, from Sega. Um, the, uh, oh, uh, Sakura Wars. And... Sakura Wars, yeah. Like that, that is another game that yeah. feels very much like a harem. It's, it's, it's just... Like I, I guess I like when it's a little bit more 
it's not just like one one character and then every, all the other romance characters are kind of throwing themselves at you or it, it feels like you can kind of just make your pick. I feel like when it, uh, it's a little bit better when it's a little bit, um, yeah, it's, it's not just like one guy and like 10 girls or something like that. I, I feel like when there's uh, more more options for different sexualities and genders and you, I think about the, the Western RPGs where you actually choose who your character is at the outset. I feel like you have more more of a, a connection with them because it, it's your avatar, right? It's your your the character you've created from the beginning. So in in that case, those relationships feel a little bit more meaningful because I made this character. I made more choices to get there. It wasn't just other characters in the game propositioning me. It was me kind of really trying to take a lot of steps or do a lot of things to earn their trust and turn a friendship into uh, something more than that. So, yeah, I, I guess that's where I would go. Like, I, I do like the Western RPG style of those games. And um, it's what, you know, really makes me miss Bioware all the more is that I, I thought they th- those those games and those mechanics just really, really stuck with me. And they still do, uh, which I'm so excited to kind of return to them uh, next month. And, uh, well, I guess... I'm pretty sure I know what Paige's favorite's gonna gonna be. Or, <laughs> well, yeah, um, I, I do like the um, Harvest Moon, Star Seasons, Rune Factory, especially style because you can also like take them out with you, um, and they can be a party member and help you out. Um, I like the style. Although I have watched um, some footage, of a particular romance option in the uh, Baldur's Gate Three Early Access, where it seems to be that sort of. They're going for that sort of Bioware style in terms of relationships and like approval ratings, um, and yeah, because these games have a more mature audience, they can also be a lot more adult <laughs> in the betrayal of relationships. So I do, I do like that. But yeah, the when I think of relationships in video games, I I do think of the Harvest Moon type games and how that's usually the main driving force for me to actually build up my farm is because I need money to get the house to get the woman that's all right <laughs> <laughs> uh, well what's what's the other other two boys uh options <laughs> uh, it's Casey's turn yeah I mean I guess for me like looking at it I think I mean like I said I haven't played a ton of the Harvest Moon games and stuff along those lines so I, I do like Persona 4 and like that style whether you guys got Heron or, yeah, or whatever yeah. Like you said, I wish maybe that there was more consequence, uh, so you couldn't just literally romance everyone, right? So it made it more personable um, and more of a meaningful choice. Where maybe even if it was like, "Hey, I met you know this this character early on, and I really like them, and I want to be in a relationship with them," but like maybe you'd have to, like, and then a, a new person came along, and you, re- I want to, I want to date them now, um, where. There was actual, like, you had to break it off, you know what I mean? And, like, you got to see, like, a really painful uh, cutscene, right? That was sort of like, oh, man, like, that was horrible to go <laughs> through, right? Like, to, to give it a little bit more well. weight, just because it is just tough, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll just do it, like, everyone, let's go. Like, I'm into it, you know? Um, and then just as far as more of, like, a from the cinematic, like, as we were sort of talking earlier on the episode, um, where it's like, yeah, do we like it where hey, like, these two are, are are destined to be together, or like, yeah, they seem like they should be together, but things always come up and, and interrupt it, or, you know, I, I sort of like the triangle where the the game doesn't necessarily ever maybe give you a final result on how it worked out, right? And obviously I'm sort of alluding here to Final Fantasy VII, where it's like, I mean, I guess in the long term, like, obviously 
out of the three, the two options for Cloud, like there's only really one mm-hmm. at the end of the game, right? But like I like how it's like, oh, there's like they're flirty, like there's clearly some tension between like the two female characters a little bit, but obviously like they're still working together and very positive with one another, and I, I like that where it's like. The game doesn't give you what it is, and like you get to sort of root for how it turns out, and and then you get to just sort of see how it plays out. Yeah, for me, uh, I, I yeah, I'm kind of along the la- the same lines of, I, I think the payoff in games where the they make a story specifically for the couple, I just feel like there's more emotion, like there's a more of an emotional payoff in in those types of games, like especially. I mean, maybe it's just partly because I grew up with the Final Fantasy games and I've kind of developed a, a preference for that. But uh, yeah, I just love seeing those types of games where it's like, okay, here's the here's the story of these two and they're working towards, uh, you know, whatever goal that, 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 that they're having and maybe the relationship's part of it or maybe it's not. But to, to see kind of how things come together, it, I just feel like there's more emotional attachment to that uh then in a style of uh you know here are your options and you can kind of choose like I, I definitely think there some games do some of those options type games do better like i feel like the persona games are successful because they give you the option but you still have that emotional payoff like the story has a good good ending as opposed to like something like skyrim where you have like your your options but there's real no there's no like ending to it it's just like you know you want to get married sure like there's there's no emotion there so uh yeah and especially when we get into last call here (laughs) you'll see why uh, i'm more partial to these type this is the last call for alcohol this evening drink up drink up drink up and order again and uh, yeah, for our last call, uh, we're all going to talk about uh, our favorite relationship in an RPG, whether it's uh, with a particular person or if there's a particular story, uh, we're going to uh, share what our favorite is. So maybe uh, uh, Jordan, why don't you kick us off with uh, your your favorite relationship in a game? I knew you were going to call on me and I didn't have a good one, but uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to go <laughs> gonna go with a, an old favorite and. Um, that's uh, Rydia and Edge from Final Fantasy IV. Um, I, I like the fact that like um, Edge is trying way too hard, and <laughs> Rydia is do- you know doesn't give him the time of day. Yeah, like I, I I don't think a lot of people do think about that relationship between the two, but like it, it feels very playful, and like um, I, I feel like you know I, I I can't remember if there are scenes about them getting married later, or if it's you know in the in playing some of the uh, the side games that came out later, like the after years or whatever that you you do realize that that's kind of where their relationship went. I think that's what that I think that's the case. I, I, like I've always liked Rydia a lot. I think that Edge kind of coming to the party late. He, he's kind of like an outsider, but he's he's so like cocky and uh, arrogant, and Rydia puts him in his place. And um, yeah, I, I kind of like their dynamic. I feel like the Cecil and Rosa, it's a little bit plain. It's kind of like the, um, the fairy tale ending, but uh, Rydia and Edge, it's a little bit more um, uh, maybe realistic, or uh, there's there's a little bit of like rougher edges or something to it. So uh, for that reason, I, I I pick their relationship. It's always been uh, kind of a favorite that their their dynamic with me. And Paige. Well, in terms of you know not not myself, self insert marrying um, whatever 
options there are for the lonely farmer um i was thinking of the ending of dragon quest 8 where well in a 3ds version you've actually got two options because you've got you can interrupt the wedding with princess Medea, who like he's been the damsel in distress for most of the game and to me that was actually a big pull like i actually because you could um talk to her in your dreams i actually really really wanted to save her um, I was just re-watching through the ending because I remember being initially confused that, you know, you, you do the, you know, the bust into the wedding and, like, um, you know, interrupt to say that, you know, you're actually the heir, so you're the one that should be marrying her. But when I remember watching the, like, playing through it the first time, I remember that it didn't look like they actually got married at the end. And I think maybe they did, but it just didn't get, it was just more implied they didn't actually show it off in the cutscene. Whereas in the... Through this version, you have an alternate choice where you can get married to Jessica. Um, and then that one, like, it, it actually shows the whole thing happening. And because of that, I did initially prefer the Jessica scene just because they actually show more of it. But as the relationship, I think just the, the classic sort of, you know, had a childhood interest and then, you know, you become the hero and, you, just, you know, you got to save your damsel princess in distress and then you do, but then she's still getting married to some loser. Mm-hmm. So you got to, you know, you got to stop that. Actually, um, I never ended up drawing it, but I found that the, the, the whole wedding ending kind of reminded me of Spaceballs a bit because it's like the the um, princess is getting married to this like absolute loser and then you go this like I, I'm an honest to god prince like that's like you literally have a th- thing like that so yeah when I think of like you know relationship outside of necessarily my own like when it's just between two characters I think mm. um the hero and uh Medea is my favorite and how about Casey yeah so yeah I was trying to think of a good one like you know, like for me, like right, Persona Four is one of those games that, like I said, like right when I finished, I wanted to go back and play through it again. All those relationships, but like there wasn't really one particular one. Of course, like I said, like Naito, Naoto. I swear, Naoto. I always say, I say, I say it wrong in my head, like the entire time I played it. So I was trying to find like the right pronunciation. So that's why I keep botching it. But um, you know, she was my favorite, of course, but. Still, just when I'm trying to think of like more over like overarching like uh, relationship within a story, like I always think of like Shulk and Fiora, right? Mm. Like how like they have that relationship, like it's not it's not a like romantic relationship, but like clearly feelings and stuff. And then you know she uh, comes to her demise, right? Or, or so it seems, whatever. And then Shulk goes out on, like, a super hard, like, revenge tour. Like, I'm going to avenge her. And, and then this sets um, the wheels in motion for this, you know, incredibly epic story with all sorts of twists and turns and everything. And, again, like, Xenoblade is, is one of my favorite franchises ever. So, like, just those characters and how they've interact, like, in the pr- sort of short time you have in the beginning, right? Like, I feel like it, it, it the bond is sort of really prevalent, even though, like I said, in the beginning of the game, it's sort of not necessarily like they're, you know, spending like a huge chunk of the game together, you know, but, um, yeah, I just, again, and then I could also like talk about Final Fantasy VII, but I feel like I've been doing that for like the last (laughs) month, so I'll I'll try and and, and reel it back on that one. And, uh, yeah, so my my favorite relationship will come to a a surprise to no one uh, who's been listening to the podcast for the past few months. 
because uh, my favorite couple in RPGs is Estelle Bright and Joshua Bright. And if you don't want uh, Trails of Cold Steel, or sorry, if you don't want Trails in the Sky, first chapter, second chapter, uh, spoiled for you, uh, jump to the outro now because uh, I'm going to be giving it away because the, the... Well, I'm assuming that they're married because you just gave them the last name, so... <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're brother, well, brother and sister, sort of, but sort of. What? Sort of. Yeah, okay. I better... Sort of. asterisk there. Adopted? What? <laughs> yes. Okay, so yeah. here, again... This is your last chance to jump if you don't want the story spoiled. But so the way that uh, uh, message in Skype yeah, when it come is, back. So the trails in the sky. The way trails in the sky starts is that uh, so Joshua Bright um, is brought home by their father Cassius Bright, just kind of um, in the middle of the night. I think uh, at the time Estelle was ten or eleven, and uh, Joshua is the same same age. And uh, there's really no. Like, Cassius uh, doesn't give any reason as to why Joshua... He brings Joshua home, like, injured and everything. Um, he just brings his injured boy home, and, and Cassius just says to Estelle, uh, yeah, so Joshua will be living with us now. And and Estelle's like, all right. There's a there's a kind of a funny scene <laughs> that I, I won't spoil, but uh, when they first meet. But anyway, they, they basically grow up together as brother and sister. Joshua becomes, like, adopted by Cassius. And uh, Trails in the Sky is, uh, the whole game is just like the two of them becoming bracers, uh, mercenaries for hire, and traveling across uh, liberal and together and, and kind of like growing, coming of age sort of thing, growing together. And as they're traveling across the country, uh, Estelle is realizing um, that he ha- that she has feelings for Joshua. Like the, this relationship is, is building as the game goes on. And so you have, um, so as, as they meet people, like there's always these, like Joshua is kind of like a pretty boy. So they're always like meeting girls that are like interested in Joshua. And then Estelle's getting like jealous and upset and not really understanding why or whatever. And, uh, so by the end, uh, so the way that the game ends is that you, you find out that Joshua actually has the CD past and, uh, that that was being blocked from his memory and and the villain of the game kind of unlocks that that memory in his mind so he he kind of remembers the bad things that he did when he was very young and um so Joshua and Estelle there's like this one final meeting they have at the end of the game where uh, Estelle declares her love and Joshua reciprocates it but doesn't want doesn't feel like he should be with her because of his past so trails in the sky actually ends with joshua uh, gassing (laughs) estelle to knock her out and then leaving so uh trails in the sky to the second chapter uh begins with uh, estelle uh continuing her bracer training and she's uh she's so she's still doing her duties but at the same time she's looking for joshua because she wants to bring him home and there's this uh they get to this point where they're they're both so they're both kind of working towards stopping Ouroboros's plan uh to to kind of a lot of stuff going on but essentially uh Joshua is kind of doing his own thing trying to disrupt Ouroboros's plan Estelle is doing her thing as a bracer to to stop them as well and they both end up on the this airship the at the same time and uh the plan for Joshua was was that he was going to uh, sacrifice himself to destroy this airship because he kind of felt like the the airship was uh, a crucial part of Ouroboros's plan. So he was going to commit kind of you know sui- kamikaze run, I guess, or whatever. 
But when when he learns that Estelle's on the ship, he can't. He's not obviously he's not going to go through with it because he he doesn't want her to die. So they end up escaping um, together, and they uh, they uh, they steal this other smaller ship, and they get away, and they end up crashing on this beach. And there's this beautiful scene between them uh, that could make you cry. It so it, it, the two of them like finally coming. Like you just spent forty hours trying to get them together, and they finally get together, and they have this this um, kissing on the beach where where they it's like okay you know Estelle again is like they they both declare their love and Estelle's like you you know it doesn't matter what's in your past we just need to be together and so they they end up finishing uh, the game together and they it ends with this the scene at the very end where um they're in this this island in the sky it's like hovering in the sky but they destroyed the power supply, so this whole island is like crumbling beneath their feet, and they get stuck on this pillar, and they they know they're about to die, so they end up hugging each other, um, like holding each other as as everything falls beneath their feet, and they they fall into the clouds, and then they're they're saved. Uh, I won't spoil this part for people, I guess, but they're kind of saved at the last moment, and and the game ends with them. Um, going off together to uh, to different countries to grow as people and and to uh, work through Joshua's past but mm-hmm. uh the two of them together is just incredible like it, it's it's basically like 100 hours between the two games of this relationship building and you get all these great emotional payoffs and, and it it's vaulted those two games as my favorite RPGs of all time favorite games of all time really um, they're number one and number two now, and and it's all based on this like the the these two protagonists and the relationship. So, I think you need to start a change change dot org petition to get these games uh, brought to more consoles because it it is kind of a shame that um yeah the these stories and these characters that uh, are you know, so beloved for you, David, they're they're kind of locked behind you know only a few only select few platforms, which is a shame because I, I you know after finishing the first game. Uh, you know, like I can largely concur with what you're saying that it is a a fantastic uh, duo there. Yeah, like it, it's crazy that Xseed is sitting on all these great games that came to Vita and uh, PC. They got them on PC. They got them on uh, PS4. Well, not not uh, Trails in the Sky anyway, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's criminal that these are these aren't on Switch or they're not on more platforms in general. Like I would love to see. I think uh, maybe. To me, I, I think I've said this before a few times now, I just feel like this is a perfect opportunity for Xbox to come in and be like, here, we're going to throw all this money at you. Just mm-hmm. put our games on Game Pass. Well, like, what's worse is that with the, with the shops closing down, right? PSP, Vita, PS3, with those shops closing down, it's going to even be fewer places to play these games. So maybe that'll be the impetus for, for companies like XE to take games that are going to be lost and put them somewhere else, right? Like the Switch and, and PC are great places to kind of like build up this huge stock of games that are going to disappear in the coming months or uh, at least be largely inaccessible. So I'm, I'm hoping to see something like that. What what's worse is looking at the PS sensor and then looking for a game and then it's disc only and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> do, do I do I buy the disc or do I wait to see if they port it? Yeah, because yeah. And in some cases, like, the disc versions are really expensive, right? Because there's maybe not that many. I don't know, but yeah. Or um, I was gonna say like with this, you know, some of the Disguy games are on Switch, but then there's still a couple that aren't. And like I was thinking of Disguy Three. That's only on PS3 and Vita, and on the PS3 it's like disc only, and it's like, oh, 
I was like, oh, I'll get it, you know, just so that I have them, and then I'll mm-hmm. I have to I have to buy one. Yeah, I haven't even I haven't even gone through the the libraries yet to figure out what games. I, I definitely want to download a bunch of games, but uh, yeah, then I look at the price of a Vita memory card, and I you know start oh, crying shit. crying all over yeah. again. Oh so. God. <laughs> You'll never buy another Wario know, if you buy one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've reminisced about uh, Legend of Heroes uh, again uh, enough for one podcast, so it's probably time to wrap her up. I told Casey there were another two hours of Estelle and Joshua talk, so we, we can probably keep rolling for a little bit longer. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to take a nap, set an alarm. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, this is our episode on marriage and relationships and RPGs. You know, obviously, uh, we can only speak to the games that we're really you know more intimately familiar with. But uh, as we play more games, there will definitely be more relationships and and couples and partners and things to talk about later. So we'll look forward to that. Um, you know, we mentioned Ruin Factory Five and the Ruin Factory series is a game to hopefully get to later in the year that uh, definitely features relationships uh, as a prominent uh, element of the game. Thanks to uh, the Casey and uh, Paige for joining us and sharing their kind of a unique takes about games that they that they are you know much more invested in than Dave and I necessarily. And I think we had a good <laughs> we had a good spread of like different genres and types of relationships and games today. Like, and I feel like we we got a good sense of like where we lean towards when we think about um, characters getting together in games, whether we want to be part of that, we want to have that agency over it, whether we like to have lots of choices or, you know, a little bit more free form, whatever it is. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, I, I, I guess I want to get to uh, what everybody's uh, doing right now. Paige, what are you working on for, for your YouTube channel and, uh, and uh, your reviews and stuff? Well, despite um, technical difficulties, That's a good I'm, yeah. Working on the very overdue um, double review of Atelierizer 1 and 2, though I am waiting till tomorrow to re-record the second half as I started recording uh, with uh, just before sunset so it gets really dark at the, <laughs> the end of the video. So I think I'm just going to wait one more day um, and make sure it looks right. Um, but that'll be out before the podcast. And then, yeah, I've still got, I think, one more overdue thing to look at and then I'll be able to get back onto Fantasian. Perfect. So... <laughs> Uh, David, what about you? Not, I don't think we have anything other than the podcast coming out for the mage. But uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm working on Fantasian as well. Uh, I think about six or seven hours in, uh, working on Tales of Asperia, which is a pretty long RPG that we'll be talking about later on. And uh, obviously, I, I couldn't wait for the next uh, Legend of Heroes, so I've started uh, Trails from Zero. I noticed the the Discord channel had a new uh, channel, or the Discord had a new channel today. <laughs> you need to alphabetize them. <laughs> yeah, it was just me. It was just me with the, the shrugging shoulders emoji. Like you knew this was coming. You need to <laughs> you need to create a separate Discord strictly for Trails of Heroes. We're getting to that point with this oversaturation <laughs> of of your of your beloved series. This is the part where I want to push Casey to start replaying Persona Four, uh, so we can do an episode on it because I. I, I'm I'm about 35, 40 hours in. Probably I, I'm going fairly fast, but oh, it's incredible! And then to have, for us to have a little bit of a chat about it today, like I, I really want you to get back on that game. I, 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 are you still playing Final Fantasy VII? Case uh, I finished Final Fantasy VII. Okay, and now I'm on yeah Trails of uh, Cold Steel. That's right. Uh, I actually don't have a Vita anymore, oh. unfortunately. Oh, no. I I still have my Persona Four. Yeah, Golden. I, I kept that bad boy. Don't have Ding. the Vita, but. I think you can. I was gonna say I think you can get it on Steam. It is on Steam, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, maybe I'll pick it up. Or, or honestly, like I could probably just watch a couple videos to refresh because uh, sure. I, I definitely like 
I mean, I played through that game fully. I, I mean, a, a great game. One of my, my, you know, top, top games. I don't want to say one of my favorites of all time, but it's definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, if, if we plan on an episode, you give me a date. Yeah, sure. I, it probably isn't too expensive on Steam. Sounds good. Yeah, so uh, I've got, uh, I've got, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty reasonable. Sorry, what you say? 20 bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not too bad. I need an excuse to play it, but I just need enough time to actually. Well, <laughs> it's it's set really aside a month. Beautiful. You're gonna need it. Just, just just give it just give just give us a year, and then we just do one game That's right. day. You know, do it like <laughs> that. <laughs> What's the first day of the? Calendar? Oh gosh, I don't even know. It, it, I think it's in the spring, spring, maybe like April or May. It might be. Uh, I don't remember. It go. It go I believe it goes to January, February though. Uh, April 11th on there, we're four days go. behind. Oh, that was really close, actually. Yeah, I, in fact, I, I think I just saw... No, that might have been a different Persona game. I think IGN's doing, like, a, they're playing, like, one day of Persona 5 um, per calendar day of, of the, like, the real calendar. I thought it was kind of a neat thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that'll do it for, for this episode. Uh, I, I do have... Um, I'm still working on a Timeless Games piece for Persona 4 Golden. I've got one uh, coming soon for Donkey Kong, the arcade version. That should be... Po- hopefully, I'm going to hopefully post that next week. Um, and then I've got, a, I've got a review coming for Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. And I had to think about that title so I didn't get it wrong because it's such an such an awkward title. But uh, stay tuned for that. I believe it's um it's coming up next week along uh, alongside the release date. Um, so yeah, lots of different things going on for all of us. Um, David, do we have a plan for next week's podcast episode? Uh, I think next week is the West of Loathing episode. Ah, cool. Okay, yeah. So uh, we got a suggestion. I think uh, Paige might have made this as well, uh, talking to David about it. Uh, so West of Loathing, uh, kind of a, a smaller indie-ish RPG. Uh, it involves stick figures, and uh, the, as the title might suggest, uh, kind of a Western or uh, kind of cowboy theme. Uh, so if you haven't already checked it out, it's, it's probably really cheap on the eShop, might even be on sale right now. Uh, but Lo- West of Loathing, you, you can easily get through it in, you know, uh, in the 8 to 10 hour range, I believe. Um, and it, it's pretty funny. It's got some interesting uh, mechanics that we'll talk about next week but yeah i'm looking forward to that so yeah uh thanks again everybody for listening if you haven't already uh subscribe to the podcast leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts helps with visibility uh gets more people listening more people joining the discord more people to chat with um and those are all good things um so i hope everybody has a good evening and we'll talk to you again next week bye adios Bye. bye